Well, good morning. Good morning. I hope you guys are doing well. Doing, doing good. Doing good. I'm excited. Uh, we This is actually our third week doing a uh, new ser- teaching series talking about seeing Jesus in the, in the Revelation. I have, as I've said before, in the weeks past, I have never taught on the book of Revelation before. And uh, there's many reasons for that I've shared in our previous messages. But one of it is... Uh, I, uh, my, my main thing is because I, I don't, yesterday between chapters 4 and chapters 22, there's a lot about the end time events. And we'll get into some of that a little bit. But I never wanted that to be the main focus. I wanted the focus to be Jesus. Because it's about, even from very verse 1, Revelation 1 1, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, um, and it's not, it's not a, I don't believe it's a book of gloom and doom. Damnation. I don't believe it's a book about uh, revealing even the tribulation and the Antichrist. I believe it's a book revealing Jesus. Yes, it has some of those things in it as far as the Antichrist and the tribulation and other things. But it's a book about revealing Jesus. And then, uh, and then just to kick it off this morning, as we can just kind of jump right into it. Uh, excuse me. We're going to, I want to start with Revelation 119. 119 is in our first, uh, I'm just doing this as a kind of a, um, save the stage for where we've been. But in Revelation 119, John, by instruction of Jesus, gives, breaks down this, this book into three sections. He, he was instructed to write down the things you have seen, and the things which you are, and the things which will take place. And as I've studied this, and I've listened to Lawson Perdue, uh, Andrew Womack, who are some of our uh, favorite teachers that we follow, um, both of them conclude, and I, this is my conclusion too, not that I'm trying to do everything Andrew and Lawson would do, but that this, there's three main, these, there are three main parts of this book, things that John saw, which we've been talking about in chapter one, John saw Jesus. And then the things that which are, which we're going to be doing with uh, this, this the seven the letters to the seven churches we're going to start next week, and then uh, the things which will come after this, which has to basically that has to do from chapters four to twenty-two. The things which we we know as the end time events or eschatology to be to be technical, but not. But we've been dealing with the last. This is our third week now. Dealing with chapter one of the things that John saw. I mean, John saw everything that's in this book, but John specifically saw Jesus. And I've been teaching this first chapter kind of what I call topically. I mean, I'm looking at five aspects of Jesus that John saw. We've been looking at how John saw Jesus as the living word. That John saw Jesus as the grace of God. John saw Jesus as the Savior of the world. John saw Jesus as, and we're going to be talking about starting this week, John saw Jesus as the eternal God and the resurrected king of authority. Excuse me, I'm just going down, but I just want to back up to verse 2. And because it says, oh, actually, I just read from verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to the things that he saw. John bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. 
that's what I want this, the, the focus of this to be about. I, I don't want to go into a lot of detail when I get to chapters 4 22, and I won't even spend a lot of time on there because that's not really the scope of this message that I'm trying to bring out. I'm trying to see Jesus in the revelation. I'm trying to paint a picture that reveals Jesus. Because no matter what happens, uh, you know, and, and what we experience, in the, even in this life, we can have tribulation. Without even the great tribulation, we can have things that we go through, things that happen in our society and whatnot. We need to have, and my main, one of my main points that I'm trying to bring out in this message is we need to have a, rev, a rev, uh, excuse me, a relationship with Jesus. No matter what happens, even on our best day, even when everything's going well, we need to have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus, and we're going to get into this, but because that has to be our, and 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 when. Things are falling apart, and when things are things are going to come on there, Jesus even said, "Many hearts will fail them because of things coming on the earth." We need to have a relationship with Jesus as the Living Word. We need to have a relationship with Jesus as the the the, uh, the grace of God. We need to have a relationship with Jesus as the Savior of the world. We need to have a relationship with Jesus as the Eternal God. And we need to have a relationship with Jesus as the resurrected kingdom authority. So again, my, my main focus of this whole study is not so much to talk about the end time events, but to talk about we need a relationship with Jesus. And even on our good day, again, we need to have a relationship with Jesus. Even when things are going rough, even when we're going through things, and the things that will come on the earth that Jesus, as Jesus and John and even Paul have prophesied, we need to have a relationship with Jesus. That is one going to be our strong tower. That is going to be our wisdom. That, and, and so many people have taught the book, not everyone, but have taught the book out of uh, a spirit of fear. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And so I, I don't want to teach it from a, a perspective of um, um, gloom and doom. I want to preach it on a revelation of Jesus. Because even when things do come, and again, Jesus said, many hearts will fail them because of the things coming on the earth. But if Jesus is our focus, if Jesus, if we have a relationship with Jesus, then our hearts are not going to be failing us because of things from the earth, because of we have, our focus is not on the things, or the things are happening, our focus is on Jesus. And that, end time events are not end time events. We need to have that. I just finished a series before this talking about wisdom. We need wisdom on any day. A good day, a bad day, we need wisdom. And there's a difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this world, or the wisdom of man. But even in these last days that are coming on the earth, we need the wisdom of God. We need to know what God says. We need to know God, God's view on things. And so and these messages kind of go together. So hopefully that makes sense as we're going into this. So we talked about, again, let me just rehab, when we talked about chapter 1, we talked about Jesus as the living word. We talked about Jesus as the grace of God. And we talked about how Jesus is the Savior of the world. We dealt with those the last two weeks. Today I wanted to finish chapter 1 today as I talked about and I emphasized Jesus as the eternal God. 
and Jesus as the resurrected king of authority, or eternity. He is the resurrected king of authority, too, but the resurrected king of eternity. I'm going to talk, I'm going to kind of, as I talk about these last two, I will be talking about these somewhat interchangeably. But last week, I, I, I finished with talking about Jesus as the Savior of the world, and I want to just highlight one, one thing that I felt like I rushed over real quick. So if you will, just go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, and we'll pick it back up at verse 4. And I want to talk about uh, one point here as I go into talk about Jesus as the eternal God. Okay? First of all, so it's on the screen here. If, if, uh, if you don't have your Bible, that's fine. But it's John, John to the seven churches, which are in Asia. We'll be talking about that more next week. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits are before his throne. We talked about that last week. And Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And we talked about that last week, and we'll continue talking about that. This is the part I want to focus on a little bit this morning. It has made us kings and priests to his God, and Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we think about it, we were, without Christ, before Christ came, we were separated from God. We were alienated from God. We were, uh, we had no relationship with God because of sin. And Jesus came with the purpose to, to wash us from our sins by his own blood. That's, that's the main message that we teach in this church, that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The word righteousness is one of the main messages that we, we talk about here. And it's, righteousness is not right doing. Righteousness is right being. It's not, it's a, the, verb, the word is a noun. It's not a verb. It's about having a right relationship with God or have a right position with God uh, because of what Christ did, not because of what we do. Christ, sin was a problem. Sin separated us from God. Uh, when Adam, man, sin, man became separated from God. The tabernacle illustrates that, how um, there was a veil between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. I'm not going to go into teaching about the tabernacle right now, but the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies represents God, and the Holy of Holies represents man. And there was a veil separating the two. When man banished man, when God banished man from the garden, he, he banished them, but he, he put cherubim in the flaming sword. Those cherubim were embroidered by, by God's direction on the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And when Christ was crucified on the cross, it says in Matthew that God ripped that tip from top to bottom, separating that, that, that um, separation between God and man. There, because of Christ, there is no separation. We can come boldly to his throne of grace. We can have a relationship with God. Uh, that is, that, that, there's no barrier. We're going to get into that uh, as we talk about eternal life. But before I get, get into that part, it says he made us kings and priests to his God. And that's very powerful. And I, uh, if we understand that, and actually I want to uh, piggyback on it real quick. Go with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And we'll pick it up in verse 9. 
Now, when I read this, I'm going to tie this together with what I want to say here. <clears throat> and in this, in this passage, we'll eventually get to it later, but um, I want to think of verse 9. I don't want to read the whole thing. But John is seeing a vision here in Revelation chapter 5, and he's seeing a lamb that was slain standing on the throne of God. To me, this picture, this vision that John has seen in Revelation 5 is a picture of after the cross, where after Jesus, the worthy Lamb of God, took away the sins of the world, which we talked about last week, is standing on the throne of God. And it says that what Jesus did caused the whole heavenly host to sing a new song. And this new song that the heavenly host began to sing, and that you are worthy to take the scroll, and you open the seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. And there will be tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. This whole idea of a king and a priest, and I don't want to spend a lot of time, but I do want to just highlight this for a moment. I want to get into what I want to talk about this morning. Even in the Old Testament, no one could be a king and a priest at the same time. Saul actually lost his kingdom by being king because he, as a king, tried to do a priestly act. That's, that's recorded in the, in the book of Samuel. For Samuel. I'm not so much focused on that, but when you read the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, Jesus is our great high priest, not after the order of Levi, the Levitical priesthood, but after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, what I'm trying to think, uh, our great high priest is a, there's a different kingdom, there's a different priesthood, there's a different government. It says in Isaiah chapter 96 that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Jesus is the king of all kings. And Jesus has, by his blood, and I'm not going to go into too, a lot of detail with this, but God has made us to be kings and priests in his kingdom. And he did that by his blood. We talked about this last week. Peter says that we are a chosen generation. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. In other words, why am I saying this? There's a lot of different reasons, but one of the reasons I'm saying this because as we get into talking about the end times and different things about that nature, things that come on the earth, and one thing that we teach in this church is that we are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are the children of God. We are not being ruled and governed by the things happening on the earth. We're not being ruled by sickness and different things. No, God has redeemed us by his blood. See, Adam had authority in the garden. Adam lost that authority in the garden because of sin. But Jesus has restored us back into rightful relationship with him so that we can have authority with him. Let me, let, let me, let me use this verse to, to tie this in. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. We talked about this last week. But it says, But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I just want to pause there for a moment. 
I just love this. I mean, this this is so rich with truth, with the gospel, with the with the message of the cross, with the message of righteousness. The God who was rich in mercy because of the great love with us, He loved us even when we were dead, even when we were separated. We were dead in our sins. We didn't ask for it. We didn't deserve it. But by His grace, He made us alive together with Christ. And not only did He make us alive together with Christ. He raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When we get to the, in the book of Revelation, we're going to see in Revelation chapter 5, that I just read, I didn't read all of it, Jesus is sitting on the throne. And when someone who's sitting on the throne, that means that person is king. That person has dominion and authority over the kingdom. We're going to find out as we get into our study this morning that Jesus has the keys of heaven and hell. He has authority. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the King. But this King, this worthy Lamb of God, who's sitting on the throne, who has authority over heaven, who has authority over earth, and he, we'll find out he even has authority over hell now because he has the keys. He has raised us up. He has given us new life so that we can have new life, but that we can also sit together with him in heavenly places. Why? There's many reasons, but one of those reasons is so that in the ages to come, because we are in the church age, but there are ages to come. We're going to get into that a little bit later in our study of Revelation. But in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Why am I spending time on this? Because we've been talking, you know, I'm spending more time on chapter 1 than I will probably spend on chapters 4 to 22 combined. Because we need to know whether we're talking about the Great Tribulation or any other things that are going to happen in the end times. Even on a good day, even through the things that we go through this earth, through this life. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, you will have tribulation. There will be tribulation in this world. This world has been affected by sin. This world has been affected by Satan. Satan is no longer the God of this age, or the God of what he was, but Christ is him to the cross. Christ, the God, is on the throne. And God has given us that authority with, as we are seated in him. We are in Christ. We have been resurrected. We have been crucified with Christ. We have been made alive together with Christ. We have been baptized in the grave. We are in Christ Jesus. I talked about this before at Easter. There's over 130 scriptures in the New Testament that, that describes who we are in Christ because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says, no, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Hopefully I'm trying to make sense of whatever it is I'm trying to say. I'm saying a lot of different things. But I'm trying to sit and I'm, I'm spending all this time about what John saw in Jesus as the living word, as the grace of God, as the savior of the world. And I'm going to get into, hopefully, the eternal God and the resurrected kingdom authority. Because as the things start happening in the world, if we focus on the things that are happening in the world, fear can come in. And different things can come in. We can get so focused on those things. The, God, the society, the government, doing this and that. And I'm not saying we're not supposed to be involved to a certain level. But our focus shouldn't be on those things entirely. Our focus needs to be on Jesus. Our focus needs, and we need to know who we are and what we have in this salvation and this relationship we have in Jesus Christ. 
one of those things is that we are kings and priests. Uh, we are a royal priesthood. We are a kingdom of priests. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. We are not governed, in a sense, by this world. We are governed by our king of kings and our lord of lords. And as we have a relationship with him, we will know what to do, when to do, how to do it, how to respond. Jesus didn't do anything without spending time with his father. Jesus was persecuted by the Pharisees and uh, the people of this world. All the apostles were martyred or crucified, or, or, or some type of martyrdom. And we need to have a relationship with Jesus as the living word, as the grace of God, as the Savior of the world, knowing who we are in Christ as kings and priests, because God has ordained us, as I just read a minute ago in Revelation chapter 5, He has made us kings and priests to our God that we shall reign on the earth. We're going to see this as we get, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself in this study. But we're going to see in the book of Revelation that there is a new heaven and a new earth coming. And the church will reign for a thousand years. God, and I'm not, I don't want that to be so much the focus right now, even though I may mention that. I'm trying to get to a point, and I'm trying to emphasize this as best I know how, is that we need to have a relationship with Jesus, and we need to know who we are. And part of who we are in Christ is that we are kingdom priests. And some of us, have, we, we have a little bit hard time relating to that because we don't necessarily function in a kingdom mentality. I'm just, uh, just talking on a natural level. We have a president. We have a, 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 a government the way it's set up. But back in the day, back, they, they were used to kingdoms. They were used to kings and whatnot. We see this a little bit in, in, uh, in, in uh, the British. And they still have a king and they have princes and whatnot. And, whatnot. and hopefully I'm making sense. But the, the priests, the kingdom, they're, they're the authority. They're the... They're, uh, uh, they're the law. They're the government system. And God has made us, and we're not governed by this world. We're, in other words, we're not governed by sickness. We're not governed by, we have been redeemed. We, we can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Salvation, the word salvation, soteria in the Greek and, and Yeshua in the Hebrew, means wholeness. It means healing. It means prosperity. It means deliverance. And he is the Lord of our salvation, and we have a relationship with God. And God has redeemed us while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and sat us on his throne that we can rule the earth with him. Not by ourselves, not independent of him, but we can rule with him. As he, our king and our God, gives us direction of how to rule. Every day I, I get up, I ask, Lord, what do you want me to do today? I know a lot of us have our schedules and what we do, our jobs and places we go, families, and we have things to do. And so some of those things, those things have already been uh, appointed for us, what we do each day. But even then, I still ask God to direct my steps, who to talk to, who to reach out to. How does God, and then when situations come up, I'm always asking God, how do you want me to respond to this? And how do you want me to respond to this situation? Sometimes in some situations, I can get emotional, whether it be angry or upset, emotional, sad about different things. But I, I bring everything, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ so he 
can rule and govern and lead my life. I need to do this on any day. But I'm trying to paint the picture. If we have a relationship with God and we know who we are in Christ, as yes, we are, and that's one of the reasons I like even the, the movie Narnia. Have you ever watched Narnia? They've got the four children. All four of them are kings and queens. But Peter is the high king. They're all kings and queens. But Peter is the high king. And but most people, and I, especially when you reach, read, uh, watch and read the story of Prince Caspian, as Edmund is talking to the other wicked and evil king, he says, I know it's hard to understand. But we are kings and queens. We are of, the, of, the, of his kingdom. And uh, hopefully that's making sense. Uh, but this makes a little more sense as we go forward. Let's go forward. Uh, uh, let's switch gears here a little bit. I spent a little more time on that than I wanted to. But um, my question as we go into talking about Jesus as the eternal God. First of all, let me just ask this question. What is eternal life? It's just a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it honestly. What is eternal life? What is salvation? We've already talked about what the definition of salvation is. Soteria, Yusha, is wholeness, is healing, is prosperity. But Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you know me, that you know the Father. Eternal life. Actually, let's just go there. Sorry, I can't find my quarter exactly how I'm going to share. John 17, 3. says, and this is like eternal life, that you they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ from this. Eternal life is not a place. Eternal life is not an age. It's not going to heaven. I believe Jesus is coming again. I believe we will be with him in all eternal life. But eternal life is knowing Jesus. It's knowing God. It's having a relationship with him. And so as we not only do we have eternal life now, if we are in Christ, we already have eternal life. But in the ages to come, in the, in the things that are going to come on the earth, we are already in eternal life. I don't know about you, but that is very soothing to me. That is very foundational to me. That no matter what happens in this world, in this life, I already have eternal life. That is very foundational. And for me, I'm always keeping that in perspective. I have a job to do. Why am I on this earth? I still need to interact with people. I still have some civil responsibilities. I have, I, Jesus said, while we're here, we need to occupy until he comes. There's still a job to do. We still live here. We're not so spiritually minded. We're no earthly good. But at the same point in time, I keeping my minds and my thoughts on him. Actually, I wasn't going to go here, but it says in Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you die, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. God. Eternal life is having a relationship with God. Go with me to 1 John, chapter 1. 1 John, chapter 1. The same, the same apostle who wrote the book of Revelation wrote this epistle as well. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. 
concerning the Word of God, life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal, that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. There's a lot here we've talked about this, these passages already in this series. But John, as an apostle, had a relationship with Jesus, the living word, a real, uh, uh, tangible relationship with Jesus uh, in the flesh. He could touch him. He, they, their hands touched him. Their eyes saw him. But he goes on to say that the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness, and we declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. In other words, God is saying, I am bearing, I have more witness of this eternal life, and I am declaring this eternal life to you. And what is this, this eternal life? That which has been seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship with the Father. In other words, this eternal life that John is declaring to us is that we would all have a relationship, our fellowship with God, with Jesus, and also that includes our fellowship with one another in the body of Christ. Okay? Um, I say all that in prerequisite where I'm going to go now. In Revelation chapter 1, we'll go back to the book of Revelation. I want to go back, I want to pick it up verse 17 for a moment. Hopefully I'm making sense. I feel like I'm all over the, all over the place this morning. But hopefully I'll be able to tie this all together. Um, um, like I said, I've never taught of this book before. And um, so I feel like I'm a little bit doing this by faith in many ways. Um, but I want people to see Jesus. I want people to have a healthy perspective. Uh, not just seeing this book, but more importantly, seeing Jesus. And we can be prepared for the things that are coming. Um, but anyway, John, he said, I'm thinking of this mythology. We'll come back to this in a few minutes. But John, anyway, he says, when I, when I saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. John, see, I'm trying to put myself in John's shoes. John, for three and a half years, saw Jesus. He touched him. He spoke to him. He saw him physically. Like, I can see you now. I can interact and fellowship with you now. Jesus saw, John saw Jesus as the Son of God, but he also saw him as the Son of Man. He had a relationship with him in the flesh. And here in this revelation that he is seen on the island of Patmos, John sees Jesus in his glorified state. He sees John, Jesus as God. And he says that he fell in his feet as though he were dead. John, in other words, John had a revelation of Jesus in his glorified state. And that revelation of Jesus challenged John in a very physical way. Okay, We have other glimpses of people who had a revelation of God in Isaiah and different other passages of scripture, Moses and whatever, and how they fell down as though they were dead. John had that same reaction when he saw Jesus in his glorified state. I'm trying to focus on right now Jesus, and I've talked about Jesus as the eternal, uh, the living word, the grace of God and the, the, the Savior of the world. I'm focusing now on Jesus as the eternal God. You know, we, we were on a cruise uh, a few weeks ago. 
and I'm not going to go through all the stories and different things we have there, but we met, we actually ran into this lady who was at, who was attending the Bible studies we were there on the on the ship. And finally, one of the uh, he was a, he was a pastor as well from Oregon, and he finally asked uh, her, "Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God?" And she said, "No." And we're going to get into some verses here in a few moments. We're in First John, but that one of the things we we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, um, and and um, and so, it, believing that Jesus is the Son of God is very crucial. It's very important uh, for us, and, and I'm going to get into that. Let's go back. Let's, uh, let's go back up to Revelation chapter one, verse eight. Hopefully, again, making sense. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit this morning. I haven't got to my groove yet. Anyway, now I love this passage here in verse eight. And John gets a revelation of Jesus. He says, "I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end." says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in the book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyteria, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. So we'll go back to verse 8 real quick. It says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. John saw talked about how John saw Jesus as the living word, the grace of God, the Savior of the world. But John saw Jesus also as the eternal God. He saw Jesus as eternal God where he felt he had a reaction to that, where he felt as though he was dead. But John saw Jesus and God, and Jesus revealed to God himself to John as the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, the, 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 the one who was and who is and who is to come. He saw Jesus as the Almighty God. John, uh, Jesus said in John 8.58, as he was talking to the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. He is the great I am. We also talked at length already in John chapter 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. In the, Jesus was in the beginning, and the be, in the beginning he was with God. He was God. Why am I saying this? Why am I getting all of this? And I'm going to make one major point here I'm trying to get at, and everything I'm trying to say this morning. This eternal God has offered us eternal life. That's one main point I'm going to be bringing out this morning. I feel like I'm just uh, I'm not making my points this, this morning in my life to. Go with me real quick to Colossians 1, 16 to 17. Am I making any sense this morning? Paul says this. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. And all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist or exist, as some translation will say. 
we know this, and I feel like some of this is elementary to some of us. But Jesus is, John saw Jesus. Paul also, we just read about in Colossians, that Jesus is not just a man. And we know this, but Jesus is the creator. He created everything. He created things, it says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, that he created things not by his pleasure, but for his pleasure. He created not only everything, but he created us. And he created us for his pleasure. He had a purpose for us. But not only that, God, not only did God create us, not only did God create the heavens and the earth, but God created everything in the heavens. He created everything in the earth. He created everything that was visible. He created everything that was invisible. He, created, he is the creator of every throne, dominion, principality, and power, both natural and physical. Uh, he, in other words, he is the king of all kings. He is the lord of all lords. He's the one created. And someone, the one who created everything is the one who has preeminence, am I saying that right, over everything. He's the one, he is the eternal God. He is the supreme being, if I can put it in that term. I hate putting that word. Get into some get watering it down. But he is the supreme God. He is the creator of everything. He is the eternal God. We're not just talking about Jesus in the flesh as the Son of Man. We're talking about Jesus as the Son of God. He was the eternal God. Jesus holds all the creation in his it says in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, that he he upholds all things by the power of his word. In other words, if God's word, Jesus' word, is holding the whole cosmos together. If Jesus' word was not powerful, and we talked about how Jesus is the living word, then the whole cosmos would fall apart. Jesus upholds all things by his word. Jesus has also, everything is, 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 is existing because of Jesus. It's, it, we, we can read this in Acts chapter 17 and other scriptures that we, we just read about here in verse 17 says, and he is before all things and in him all things consist or exist. Let me just read this. The eternal God Jesus was talking to religious leaders and he said, he said this thing. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now in this context, the Pharisees, the religious leaders thought Jesus was talking about the natural Jerusalem, the natural temple. But we know that he was talking about his own temple. In Corinthians 6.19, Paul writes that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the eternal God, said that if you destroy this body, the temple, I will raise it up in three days. I don't know about you, but what I'm trying to point out this morning is that this eternal God who created everything, and by him everything exists, said that if you, he, he, he said, I will die. I will allow this body to be destroyed, be crucified, 
so that you may have eternal life. If we understand what I just said, that is very profound, and that is one of the most marvelous things about this whole thing called Christianity, is that our God, our Creator, our Savior, our Lord, allowed His body to be destroyed so that we, that he, that he could be raised up and resurrected in newness of life. That we too, we, we too can have this same salvation. With that, I was, this was the statement I was going to read a minute ago. The eternal God allowed His body to be destroyed so that the resurrected King of eternity could give us eternal life. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus crucified his body as the eternal God. He became our propitiation. He became our worthy lamb. He became our substitute so that we could have eternal life. See, sin was in the way. Sin was a barrier. Man, when Adam sinned, when man sinned from, from Adam's fall and sin to the cross... Man could not have a rightful relationship with God. They had, they had sacrifices, and, 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 and they had a sacrifice of the lamb, and all, that, all, the, all the Levitical law uh, through the sacrifices, which was just an allegory, which was just a, uh, a temporary sacrifice that was, gonna, that was pointing to the real sacrifice, which what Jesus would do. But at all point, they had to have the sacrifice that was in the Levitical law as a substitute, as an allegorical substitute of what Jesus was going to accomplish. It was a foreshadow. But Jesus, when Jesus came, Jesus has redeemed us from the curse, it says in Galatians 3.13. He has come that we might have life and have it to the full. The only reason is the most famous verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came. This is the, the very cornerstone of the gospel, the very cornerstone of Christianity, that Jesus, our Savior, the eternal God, came and died so that we could have eternal life. We couldn't have eternal life because of sin. So Jesus became the sin, crucified the sin, and was raised together, it says in, John, in Romans 4, 24 and 25, so that we could be justified. We could be declared righteous in His sight. That word righteousness, again, means of having a right relationship with God. And because we have a right relationship with God, we have eternal life, because having a relationship with God is what eternal life is. Eternal life is not about the new heaven and the new earth. Eternal life is not about um, going to heaven with him, even though that is going to be glorious and blissful. Eternal life is having a relationship with God. And so that means also, and that's one reason I spend so much time with this, because no matter what comes on the earth, no matter what happens, no matter the things that we're going through right now, our eternal life is not based on the things that we're going through. Our eternal life is based on a relationship with Jesus. But if we have a son, if we have that life, we have the authority and the ability as we sit 
together with him on his throne as kings and priests to heal, lay hands on the sick and see them recover. We can call those things which are not as though they are. We can speak life. We can call. We can receive his salvation. Prosperity if we need it. Provision if we need it. Whatever we have because we already have it in Christ Jesus. It's already in this eternal life. It's already in this seed that is already in Christ. That we are in Christ. Christ is in us. But we are we have this eternal life, this everlasting life in Jesus. And it was made possible because our eternal God became flesh to die for us, to give us eternal life in Him. That is the most awesome, miraculous thing that has ever taken place. Go with me real quick to echo just what I just said in Romans chapter 4. Twenty-four, twenty-five. It says, but also, uh, I'm sorry, verse three. Now it was written, written, was not written for his sake only. He's talking about Abraham alone. That it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall not be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up because of our offenses, and was raised because of our justification. That word justification is also the exact same word for righteousness. He was raised. For that we can be justified, that we can be declared righteous in His sight. Um, I'm going to fast forward to something here real quick. Go with me to John chapter 3, verse 36. Jesus says here, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides in him. Go with me also to John chapter 6. John 6, verses 32. I'm sorry, there. It says, And then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you that Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes from down from heaven. And gives what? Life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall not ever hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus came as the bread of life to give life to the world. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the eternal God who gave life to the world. See, Eternal life is something that every born-again believer already possesses. Eternal life does not take place in the future. Eternal life is a present reality. Go with me real quick to John chapter 5, verse 24. It says, most assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. He shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. That is profound. We're going to actually spend one more time with that a little bit later on when we talk about judgment and the great white throne. We're going to, we're going to talk about how there's two different kinds of judgment, and we'll, we'll deal with that. 
but you know this for now because this is our very cornerstone verse. That he who he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, has everlasting life, and it shall not come into judgment, but has already passed from death into life. We have eternal life because of our relationship with Jesus. We have a relationship with Jesus because he paid the price and we believe. It's, and what I didn't read, I was going to read earlier, we, we quote this all the time when we read someone to the Lord, but in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10, we quote this all the time, and that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I trying to paint a picture that eternal life is not just going to heaven. Eternal life is a relationship with God. And this relationship with God is only made available because Jesus, the worthy Lamb of God that we've been talking about, has saved the world. He poured out his blood. He shed his blood so that we can be saved. But he did it for us, but we have to believe it. We have to receive it. If we believe it and receive it, and we are born again. We have this life. And we and this eternal life is not just another thing I'm trying to paint a picture with, with eternal life. Eternal life, it should not just be a badge, so to speak. It should not just be a certificate, so to speak, to go to heaven. Eternal life is, because that's not what eternal life is. Eternal life, yes, that's one of the benefits of having everlasting life. Yes, that's one of the benefits of salvation is going to heaven and being with Jesus for all eternity. But eternal life is a relationship with we have a marriage. We have a marriage, not so, so, so we have a tax status, and so we have a certificate of marriage. We have a marriage so we can live life together, so we can do life together. In my re way I see it, marriage without a relationship is no marriage at all. You might have a ring, you might be uh, legally married as far as the, the courts are concerned and different things, and you might be technically married and everything, but if there's no relationship, there really is no marriage. Technically, there is a marriage, but... Uh, it, it, it doesn't have the benefits. It's not, you're not, we have eternal life so that we can have relationship with God. And out of that relationship with God is everything, including the things that are going to happen on the earth in the last days and different things that are going to happen. We need to have a relationship with God so that our faith doesn't become shipwrecked and upon other things. We need this relationship with God. So that one, and, and so we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be worried about the things coming on the earth. We don't have, and that doesn't mean the things coming on the earth and even the things happening in our own country and different things. Uh, doesn't mean we have to be okay with that. Doesn't mean we don't have a civil responsibility and different things that we can do. I'm not necessarily going there right now, but I'm just talking about just our our sanity and our faith and our and our. Um, but just how we kept ourselves. I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to be full of anger and anxiety and my faith, my heart failing me because of things happening in earth. I'm, the Bible says I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm, I'm, the, I'm a child of God. I'm saved. I don't have to be under dominion. I don't, the, 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 the economy is not my source. The, 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 my job is not my source. My paycheck is not my source. The government is not my source. Not just for income and, and, and economics and whatnot, but just 
for sanity. Jesus is my source. And the salvation includes prosperity if I need. I mean, as I was stating this, even I think it came out last week. I didn't plan this. But remember Egypt. Israel and Egypt and the plagues that were happening in Egypt. And I don't know how this is connecting because I haven't really fully studied this. But Israel was in Goshen when everything was happening to Egypt. And when darkness came on the Egyptians, it didn't come on the Israelites. When the hail came on the Egyptians, it didn't come on the Israelites. And I'm not saying we won't experience some things, but we are in Christ. And the things that happen in this world, yes, on a natural level, they can affect us. But on a spiritual level, they can affect me. If I'm in Christ and my heart is in the right place. And he will keep in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed upon him. And But we need to know who we are and what we have in this uh, salvation we have. I wrote this down in my notes. Biblical salvation is a reality we can know we have experience. Salvation is not just a status. Salvation is not just a, a Christian sense. Cliche. Salvation is something that we experience. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, that is the power of God to salvation, is the right the righteousness of God is revealed. The gospel reveals this righteousness, this right relationship we have in God. It reveals it. And this salvation we have, this, this gospel, is the power of God to experience, unto salvation, as it says in the King James. We should be experiencing salvation. We should be experiencing healing. We should be experiencing prosperity. Not so, not so prosperity becomes our idol, but so that we can, be, we can be blessed to be a blessing. We can be blessed to, to be a blessing on this earth. And that's really kind of where I'm going with this whole kings and priests thing. It's not just so we have a status. It's so that we, that as things are happening in the world, we as the church of Jesus Christ can be a light. Because we are called the light of the world, it says in Matthew. We can give life. We can get help. We can speak healing. We as the church of Jesus Christ, God says that he has put all things underneath his feet, even his church. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And he has put all things underneath our feet. And uh, we need to know who we are. I'm not here to revolt against any civil government as long as it's not disobeying what God has, has, has ordained. I'm not here to revolt anyway. But at the same point in time, I don't serve, I serve them through my relation, how do I say this? I feel like I'm not saying this way. Everything I do, work, and as a member of the society, I do it and I do it unto the Lord. And as Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life that I live, I live by the faith of God. Everything I'm doing, I want to do this eternal life includes having a relationship with God. That It says in Ephesians 5.30, I'm one flesh with God. So I want to see everything I do, whether I'm pastoring, teaching, whatever I'm doing, I don't want to do it because I'm doing it. I want, I want Christ to do it in me. 
not just now, but also in the ages to come, the things that might happen in the earth. I want Christ to be my Lord and my God and working in my life. Is that making sense? I want to experience salvation and eternal life in everything I do and everything I say. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to wrap it up here pretty soon. I'm not getting as far as I thought I was going to today. I thought I was going to wrap this part up, but I'm not sure that I will. John says, and this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. And this life is where? It's in the sun. He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. That's why this lady that we met on this cruise ship, she doesn't, she doesn't have the Son. She wasn't born again. The fact that she didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God told us, explained to us that she wasn't born again. She didn't believe in Jesus and the other things that she said along those lines. But this is just way that God has given us eternal life. And this life is where it's not in us. It's not in what we do. It's not in our performance. It's not in our adherence to the law. It's in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's where eternal life is. And he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. In other words, either you have Him or you don't. Either we know Him or we don't. Either we have come into a relationship with Jesus or we haven't. Either we are experiencing Jesus or we're not. Either we are Jesus, and I've been saying this throughout this whole study, having a relationship with Jesus will change your life. It will change. I'm not just talking about receiving salvation, becoming born again, but this whole born again experience, this whole salvation experience, this whole eternal life experience will change your life. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you act. It will change everything about you. Because we are born again. Not of corruptible seed. We are born again of corruptible seed. We, the, the whole new seed DNA changeover. If I can even use the word DNA. We, we are born again. Not of Adam. who, uh, But we are born again of Christ. The second Adam. This is not done physically. We're not, as Jesus told Nicodemus, we're not going back into our mother's womb. We are born again spiritually. We are born again into eternal life. And I don't know how to explain it all, but eternal life is more real than physical life. All of our natural lives, we relate everything to a physical realm. But the spiritual is more real than the natural because the spiritual created the natural. It's the parent force. And eternal life is not a place or an age as a time. Eternal life is a relationship with Jesus. And even though we can have eternal life in the sense of believing in Jesus and being born again, but if all we do is have eternal life, but we do nothing with that, the me, we have taken the, the greatest gift of all and just laid it dormant. I don't want to do that. 
God has given me eternal life, not just so I can go to heaven, but God has given me eternal life for one purpose, so I can be a minister of God's grace so others can go have experience eternal, eternal life too. I don't want to be so selfish that I'm just focused on my eternal life. I want to use the life that God has given me to minister eternal life to other people. Including killing and wholeness and other things that we can minister. <coughs> I don't I want people to get healed. I want people to get set free. But I want them more importantly to have a relationship with Jesus. And sometimes the healing can be a bell, so to speak, that can lead them to having a relationship with Jesus. Jesus did it all the time. He ministered, he healed the sick. He also preached the gospel. He also ministered. But sometimes the uh, healing people drew the crowds so he can minister salvation. He can minister the message of the cross to them, which is the greatest miracle of all. The greatest miracle we can ever experience is having a relationship with Jesus. Let's go back to the book of Revelation real quick. Revelation verse 9. I just want to finish this little section here. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. I'm still talking about eternal life. But more important than talking about eternal God. Because our, Jesus, our eternal God, gave us eternal life. But uh, John says here, I, John, both your brother and companion, in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Christ. John, he, and a couple of things here to point out. First of all, John says... I'm your brother and your companion in the tribulation. One thing I just want to comment on that. Some people believe that the future tribulation will purify the people. In other words, some people believe that the future tribulation will help purify people so that they will be acceptable before God. The problem I have with that is that the blood of Jesus can't purify us. Nothing can. If the blood of Jesus can't make us ready for the Lord, nothing can. The only thing that can make us ready for Jesus or for anything that happens is the blood of Jesus. We, the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can purify us. It's the only thing that can make us ready. Now, some of us may not struggle with what I just said, what some people believe. But some people think that the, the, the tribulation will purify. No, the blood of Jesus purifies. And it's only the blood of Jesus. That's one thing that John is saying over and over and over in this book. It's the blood of Jesus that has made us clean, that has washed us, that has purified us. But also in this too, it, talk, it talks about how John was sent, uh, was banished to the island of Patmos. And then verse 10 says, I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice out of a trumpet. Now, history tells us that they tried to martyr John by putting him in a, uh, they tried to boil him in oil, and he just wouldn't die. You can imagine just these religious leaders and the, the, uh, these leaders trying to kill this guy, and he just won't die. And so they just banish him to this island called Patmos for the purpose of, you know what, I, we can't kill you, we're trying to kill you, but we can't kill you, so we're just going to put you on this island so no one hears what you're saying. And the reason they're trying to kill him is because they don't like the message he's preaching about the gospel, about Christ, about the, Jesus being the resurrection and the life. 
they banished him to the island of Patmos so no one would hear him. And yet since that time, till this day, even this morning, we're talking about the revelation that Jesus, John received on the island of Patmos. And so what they were trying to do didn't come accomplished. But what I'm, one thing I want to just point out here, it's not necessarily a major point, but it says that John says, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now what's the Lord's day? Technically speaking, since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus was resurrected. Mean, that's why we celebrate Easter on Sunday. I don't want to get so much into. Uh, I don't know. I worship Jesus seven days a week, but at the same point in time, that is technically called the Lord's Day, Sunday, the first day of the week. And then I'm just putting it into perspective. What day it was? It was a Sunday. He was on. The, he was on. He was. He was in the spirit on the Lord's Day. And that's so. Much, it's not so much uh, a major point. But I just want to say this though. Even if you are alone, like John was alone on the island of Patmos, and maybe you're alone not because of, I don't, we, we teach a lot in this church, it's not good to be isolated. And John wasn't isolated by a choice, John was isolated by force, not his choice. But even if you are in a situation, Jesus, again, Jesus said, many hearts will fail them because of things coming on the earth. There can be times, and there have been times when she, even with Sherry and I, we felt we were very alone in certain situations or whatnot. Even if you are alone, physically, or just your perspective in the moment, you can still get in the Spirit. You can still, because you have a relationship with God, no matter what happens in this world, no matter what our government may or may not do in the future regarding church and different things, I don't know, that's the point that no matter what happens in the tribulations that are coming and whatever that looks like, we need to have a relationship with Jesus. Because no matter what happens, because in some countries, having a relationship with Jesus publicly can cost you your life. We're not experiencing that in this country, at least yet. But we don't know the things that are going to come. And in some countries, and some people who are listening, it is life or death to, to show or express a relationship with Jesus of any kind. But no matter where you are, even if you are in an underground church or whatever you are, maybe you're the only one who showed up for church. John was the only one who showed up. He's the only one on the island. But that did not refrain him from getting into the spirit of the Lord's day. And he got one of the greatest revelations of all time. He had a revelation of Jesus. You can have church. By yourself. I don't recommend it if you have an opportunity to get in fellowship. And we'll talk a lot about that later on in some other teachings. We teach a lot here. Fellowship is essential. But even without that, even if you're in a situation where you cannot have that, even when in a situation you are, you feel like you're all wrong, you can get into the Spirit. You can get into His presence on the Lord's day or any day of the week, day or night, wherever you are. That makes sense? And that's one of the reasons why I'm spending so much time talking about who Jesus is and who we are in Christ. Because right now we're looking at it, at least where we're at, what we're saying is we're not experiencing the tribulation that some people are and some people will. And I'm not saying we're not going through, I'm not saying life is a better rose and we're not going through things. And so, so that is the case for a lot of us. But, but and, and, and again, I don't want to focus on the gloom and doom, but Jesus, Paul, and John and others, Peter, talk about things that will happen in the last days. 
And I don't know what it's going to look like, but on the natural, I, the picture that's painted through Scripture, it's not going to be pretty. But we don't focus on the storm like Peter. We focus on Jesus and our relationship with Jesus. That is crucial. And spiritually speaking, that can be in many ways life or death in many ways. Jesus must be our focus. Jesus was John's focus. And they couldn't boil him. <laughs> they tried to make french fries out of him. They couldn't boil the guy. I'm, I'm not trying to be uh, crude. I'm just, I'm just trying, you know, they tried to kill the guy. They couldn't die. They tried to banish him. And they couldn't stop him. And so, that's awesome. That's awesome, awesome. Um... Verse 11 real quick. Saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the verse and the last, and what you see right in the book and send it to the seven churches. And we'll be talking about that hopefully starting next week. Uh, as I, I, I'm going to be concluding everything that we, I didn't talk about this morning. But let me just say this for now, and I'll probably be very repetitive when we get to chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. Jesus is still has a message for the church today. He wrote seven letters to the seven churches which are in Asia. But Jesus is still speaking to the church today. He is still speaking. Throughout chapters 2 and 3, you will hear these words. Let him who have ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Jesus is still speaking. And we need to hear, we need to listen, and we need to understand what Jesus is is saying to his church. I'm already over. So I didn't get to finish the last part. Uh, I will wrap that up next week as we go into talking about the seven letters to the churches. I didn't get as far as I wanted to this morning, but uh, the last part is actually really short. So um, um, anyway, Lord, we just thank you for your word. You know, I, Lord, I know I just said a lot of different things this morning. Lord, this type of teaching is, it seems like it's deeper on a different level. But Lord, you know my heart. My heart is that we would have a relationship with you. And Lord, I, that's, so, that's so resounding in my heart. And Lord, because that's the essence of eternal life. Everything we need. Everything we need to know. Everything we need to do is found in you. Lord, help us. Lord, uh, you know, so we can also, not just so we can be fine, but we can also, because of that relationship with you, we can also be in a position as kings and priests to minister to others who you bring across our paths. So we want to be the head and not the tail. We want to be the light of the world. We want to be a blessing to people, even in the ages to come, as the church of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, most importantly, for this eternal life that we have in you. Lord, this is an awesome, awesome, awesome salvation we have. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks.